Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. It is Friday. It is Friday afternoon into Friday evening. We do a little thing here where we like to bring someone on and, uh, and chat about things. All kinds of things. What like to call it the brightest conversation in Hamilton Radio. And uh, joining me today, a man who, uh, who can chat and be bright and be on radio. Qualifies as for all those things. His name is Mike Fortune. He is the guy you see on Cable 14 as the host of the Hamilton Network. Sir, how are you? Hey, Scott. I'm so thrilled to be here. This is uh, my wonderful warm-up going into the season opener tonight. I got my Ticat gear on, the flags hanging outside of my house. This is the year, 2023, Oski. We, we're going to be great cup champs. You know what the Ticats need to get over the hump? A uh-huh. special rapporteur. <laughs> yeah, I understand. I understand there's one who's available. He's available now. Let's bring him on, get him a jersey, and have him do a few Oski Wee-Wees for us with Pigskin Pete. Sure, why not? I, uh, I must say that um, among all the other things, we're going to talk about this in, for a couple of minutes here, but um, I'm looking at the letter that he wrote to the Prime Minister, and before we get into the contents of the letter for his resignation, mm-hmm. I must say it's written on Office of the Independent Special, special Rapporteur letterhead. Well, I mean, I, I guess if you're going to be a special rapporteur, you have to go out and get letterhead made up for you. But could he not have just done it on like David Johnson letterhead? I mean, I know it's small potatoes, but do we, I mean, do we need for, for, a, for a temporary position, do we need to go out and get special letterhead for it? I guess. Hey, if, if there's money to spend, the government will figure out how to spend it. And if it's on special letterhead, so be it, right? I think you're probably, I'm sure there were business cards. I'm sure there was, you know, a sign, a, a door, like a sign on his door that said special. It couldn't just say David Johnson. They couldn't just pull it from Rideau Hall when he was governor general and just scratch out the governor general part. You know, it's, you're right everything though. Everything has to be, everything has to be done tickety-boo and uh, yeah, uh, our tax dollars well spent again. So I'm just kind of, uh, I know we're going to chat a little bit about this. We'll get into it a little bit later, possibly. I'm just kind of finding out about this. We all are. We all are. Social media. Yeah, no, we all are. It's, it's in the last, uh, less than an hour that, yeah. uh, that this has come in and, um, as I say, let me, let me read, it takes a minute here, but let me read the letter. And then when we take a break, we'll come back and we'll talk about some of the things that are in here. Uh, Dear Prime Minister, when I undertook the task of independent special rapporteur on foreign interference, my objective was to help build trust in our democratic institutions. I've concluded that given the highly partisan atmosphere around my appointment and work, my leadership has had the opposite effect. I am therefore tendering my resignation effective no later than the end of June 2023, or as soon as I deliver a brief final report, which I hope to be earlier. AD now that okay so let me just stop here cuz we're going to talk about these things the first one he seems surprised that his work here became partisan we'll talk in a few minutes about whether he should have been surprised now on with it a deep and comprehensive review of foreign interference its effects and how to prevent it should be an urgent priority for your government and our parliament Although I concluded that a public inquiry under the Inquiries Act would not be a useful way to deal with what is almost exclusively classified information, I recommended public hearings both to educate the public and to consider necessary reforms to various aspects of the government's systems and policies dealing with foreign interference. The concluding pages of my first report identified numerous areas in need of study, analysis, and reform, including, although not limited to, the effects of foreign interference on diaspora communities, legal and regulatory reforms necessary to more comprehensively address foreign interference, and a comprehensive review of the way in which intelligence is communicated and processed from security agencies through to and within government. Well, let me stop for again. 
This mic, we'll talk about this in a second, sounds a whole lot more like we need to have an inquiry than what he said before. Let's carry on. One more thing. One more paragraph. I encourage you to appoint a respected person with national security experience to complete the work I have recommended in my first report. Ideally, you would consult with opposition parties to identify suitable candidates to lead this effort. My legal team and I will be happy to assist any way we can. Yours faithfully, David Johnson, the right honorable David Johnson. Uh, There are a bunch of things in there, Mike, that I read and I went, wait a second, um, what exactly, what is going on? Because some of this stuff seems to be almost opposite world of what we're experiencing here. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a very quick break and we're going to come back with Mike Fortune and talk about this letter and what we make of this. Because again, there's some things in here that just don't seem to jibe a lot with what we've been hearing in the days leading up to this. Mike, I was just reading the letter from now resigned special rapporteur, David Johnson, uh, because I think like you and like most people listening, we've only just found this out within the last, within the last hour. So most people hadn't seen that. So let's go through a few of these things, starting with the first thing that he mentions where he has concluded that given the highly partisan appointment uh, atmosphere around his appointment, that his, that he's had the opposite effect of rebuilding trust in our democratic institutions. <laughs> Should David Johnson, uh, and I think he is a smart man and I think He is a man who has done really good things for this country, but should he have been, was he being naive in believing that as a friend of the prime minister, that his appointment was going to be seen as anything other than partisan? Yes, but before, I I think you, Ben and I, and maybe your whole listening audience, we should turn this into a drinking game how many times do we say rapporteur oh man okay. that's that's it's a great it's a great drinking game i've got my coffee right here there you go good stuff um i think there is always going to be that raise of an eyebrow when you hear of people in very high positions who know other people in very high positions who at some point um, have been friends, uh, hung out at chalets together, had dinners, even if it was a few decades ago and they don't really hang out anymore, there's always that underlying, hmm, I wonder what's really going on here, which then also leads me to um, thinking, what is truly going on behind the scenes for him to truly all of a sudden say, uh-uh, this is it, the end of the month. There's got to be more to this story that I'm sure will leak out over the next few days and weeks. Yeah, I, as soon as he, a couple days ago, when he was having his, uh, he was doing an interview, uh, as soon as he had to spend as much time as he did trying to explain how he wasn't friends with the Prime Minister, mm-hmm. after you could go back into previous TV interviews and see him raving about the Prime Minister and what a lovely friend of the family he is, as soon as you have to start, what's that about you uh, who protests too much? Um, as soon as that came up, like I, I just, this is one area that I think as even as an intelligent guy that he whiffed on, he had to know how this was going to be perceived. He had to know that of, of this was going to be seen now, now as I didn't partisan. See the interview. Oh, sorry, Scotty. No, I, I didn't see there. I don't know if he kind of got uh, hoodwinked into to that type of a question and the response, and then thought about it and replayed it afterwards and thought, uh-oh, shouldn't have done and said all that, uh, or if he was fully aware. So so who knows where, where that kind of led, to, or who knows why that led to this at this point. 
Well, and this was long before he was ever a rapporteur. This was back when, you know, he was talking about the prime minister, I think being prime minister becoming. So it's mm. years before, but, um, so, all right. So it, but are the other governments, are, are the other, is, and correct me if I'm wrong here, um, the, the, the NDP and the, um, the, the, the liberals, are they also not supposed to kind of hold the government to a standard to make sure that we have the proper rapporteur in place? Yes, but that's the whole point here, is that the Liberals had the choice because they are the government, and the NDP could have called them on it because they always can. They've got this deal, but they don't. But this is, let's skip to the third part then, the third paragraph here, where David Johnson says, I encourage you to appoint a respected person with national security experience. Um, Ideally, you would consult with opposition parties to identify suitable candidates. I... I am going to hold, keep my powder dry on this one about whether I think they will. I think if they don't, after seeing what's happened, and then after having the man who was in the middle of this say, you need to do this, if they don't do this, I don't think there can be a Canadian alive who is going to say, you're hiding something. You, right, because that's you, how it looks right now. Yeah, you have to. Even even if we give the most generous benefit of the doubt possible to the Prime Minister, and we say, you know, he honestly thought that David Johnson somehow was going to be seen as nonpartisan. Even if we give him all the benefit of the doubt, now he can't possibly be confused a second time. And with David Johnson saying, you need to consult with the other parties. Here's the problem, though. Do they really want to have the input from the other parties that may choose someone who is less kind to the liberals? No, of course not, because now you're you're, you're going to have so many hands in the cookie jar, three of them, if you will, At least. three parties. You, who, who knows what you are truly going to get, and who knows how long will that relationship or role then be held, because... Trudeau gets voted out at some point, you bring in another one, you're going to have to go through the whole process again, I would think. Uh, and I'm really surprised this precedent was was set to this point with Mr. Johnson. Yeah, I, I, I'll be fascinated to see what, I, I wish we had, you know, I've always thought that the government could probably pay off some of our debts by selling pay-per-view closed-circuit camera microphones <laughs> into some of the meetings they hold. People would pay money, I'm sure, to go into the prime minister's office when this letter landed to see what is the response. And then when Johnson leaves the office after submitting his resignation, what does Trudeau say to his advisors? What's the, what's the response about that last line about who do we get? Because I just, I, I find, I think that is going to be the sticking point of anything. Who can they all possibly agree upon? It's it's almost impossible, but whatever you end up doing, make sure you get it right this time. And, and even if it takes a while, I, don't rush and put someone in there just for the sake of having someone in there. Do it right now. And if you can all agree, then fantastic. But as we all know, different colors, different governments, they can't always see eye to eye. So but it Mike, would be fascinating. But Mike, if they had done this, what David mm-hmm. Johnson is encouraging, finding them to, or getting them to consult with the opposition parties, had they done that in the first place, would we be in this pickle? Because no, if, if, if Polyev and Singh and the others uh, um, had been able to have a say and a vote in who we got and they found someone they could agree upon, you could not, they could not then possibly argue that this person was partisan and whatever else. And if he came back with a decision that favored the liberals, 
all the bullets are out of their chamber. That they mm-hmm. just have to go with it. It like it would seem to take away all the ammunition that the opposition parties would have. And, and Johnson has put Trudeau in a very interesting situation now by, as you alluded to, with this letter and that final line. So where has the friendship, where's the crack in that friendship? What has happened for it to get to this point? And why would you make that comment to all of a sudden make all Canadians start to talk about it and really question what Trudeau might or might not do moving forward? Yeah, and the other thing, we have just about a minute or so here that is probably the most important part of this whole thing is the first line of the second paragraph. A deep and comprehensive review of foreign interference, its effects and how to prevent it should be an urgent priority for your government and parliament. That, uh, that's a curious line to me because that sounds very close to saying we need to have an inquiry that I said you don't need to have. He then tries to explain that he's not saying that exact thing, but that line is saying to the Prime Minister, you and your party cannot just slough this off as if there's nothing here. He's saying there is something here. And I'm wondering what the inquiry would bring out. Does it have to do with with uh, with political interference, does it have to do with, with uh, um, uh, secrets regarding how we would defend ourselves or help other countries? Who truly knows? That could open up a whole other can of worms. Uh, yeah, yeah, but it's it again. I think it's been positioned somehow that his choosing not to have or not to recommend a an inquiry has some have interpreted that to mean there's nothing to see here. Move along. Right here, he is saying. There is definitely something to see here. You need to do a deep and have a deep and comprehensive review of foreign interference. He would not say that if there was nothing to see. And you would, he's saying that, I would also think he knows his information, he's done his homework, him and his team, that he could potentially be in the clear. Mr. Johnson will probably be fine through all this, but wait a second, Trudeau, you, 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 all your right-hand men and women... Uh, be prepared. This could get nasty. Uh, this is a this is a really interesting Friday late afternoon news dump. There is no question that. Uh, and again, creative to do it late on a Friday afternoon. Let the weekend go. Twenty four hour news cycle. We're talking about something different on Monday. Yeah, I have a feeling that uh, by the time this resurfaces on Monday morning, David Johnson will probably be in the south of Italy, <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> long out of reach of anyone. It's like I'm out of here, man. You deal with it now. Thanks for everything you've done for me, Prime Minister. My reputation is in tatters. I am long gone. But uh, hey, it's uh, yeah. We will be talking about this uh, because on Monday or Tuesday or whenever, presumably we will hear whether the prime minister, whether the governing party, whether the liberals have any intent of following any of this advice. It'll be a fascinating thing. All right, let me take a break. Trudeau and his PR team will be spinning their wheels all weekend, that is for sure. Yeah, if they had plans um, yeah. to be doing something else, those plans have now been canceled. This Correct. is the this is the new weekend business. <laughs> Mike, this, uh, this story um, this week really caught me off guard. I was talking about the government. Well, uh, Mary Simon, who's our governor general, we're talking about David uh, Johnson. Well, her, one of her, not her successor, but someone who came after her in that position, uh, was asked, she was in Winnipeg this week, and there have been statues of Queen Elizabeth that have been, uh, Queen Victoria that have been knocked down, and a statue of Queen Elizabeth in in uh, Winnipeg have has been defaced and knocked down, and they just fixed it up, and it was defaced again. And Mary Simon, who's the governor general, who's the queen, well, what was the queen, now the king's representative in this country, was asked 
about this. Now, she is in an interesting spot because she is Indigenous and some of the words that have been spray painted on this statue is that the queen was a colonizer and a killer. And, and Mary Simon was saying how, you know, this is tough because, uh, I understand there is anger and about colonization and all this kind of thing. However, she finishes by saying, so in a way I can't say whether it's right or wrong, the tearing down of statues and everything else. And I, all I could think is, if you are the king's, the, 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 the reflection of the monarchy in our country, if you have taken that position, surely you can know whether attacking the monarchy essentially is right or wrong. This should, that should not be that difficult, should it? I, I don't think it should be. However, you know, we, we're in a different age now. We're, we're in a very political, we're in a very, uh, let's jump on everything everybody says right away. And perhaps this was a, a so let's sit on the fence type of answer. Um, I, I didn't read the article, so I'm just kind of hearing it through you first, Scott, so I apologize. Uh, but she, I think she's probably doing the best that she can. And maybe she'll come out with another further reply at some point. Again, I... I see where she's coming from as a woman, as her indigenous background, her, her, her role with the king now, and, but she also has a lot of other people that she has to answer to, and maybe she just didn't want to upset the apple cart that much. Maybe I'm way off base here. No, but I, and I, I certainly understand that it is a very tricky spot for her to be in. I don't question that. But if you are the representative of the monarchy, if you're being paid by us taxpayers, by the government to represent the monarchy, if you don't believe wholeheartedly in the monarchy, what are you doing in that position? She's getting a paycheck. <laughs> yeah. So not, not, to, not to be so blunt about it. No, but, but I, uh, I, look, that, that's, uh, yes, she is getting, she's getting a nice paycheck and she's got lots of clothing allowances and everything else. I'm, I do not, I'm not taking issue with the fact that there are people indigenous and otherwise who have real issues with the monarchy and with the England and with the old yep. country and all that, all that stuff. I get it. But if you have taken the position, if you have accepted the job, no one put a gun to her head and said, you have to do this. Mm -hmm. If you have accepted this job to be the representative of that queen, her family, now the king, surely in your mind, publicly, you have to take a position that says, I believe in this. If, if she, if she questions the monarchy and its past and everything that it stands for, how can she possibly do her job? Well, maybe, maybe she has had conversations that we're not privy to with the monarch. And maybe there's an understanding behind the scenes. And maybe part of that conversation might be, look, let's not upset the apple cart. If you're asked about this stuff, you, you, you know, let, let's tow that company line, if you will, um, and uh, not upset too many more people because the monarchy as a whole, as we all know, is kind of under a, a lot of, under that microscope on a very regular basis. And maybe that was just the message that was sent along to her that she had to pass along to, possibly. Yeah, I, I, I say, I like, okay, so let me say this. If I, right now I'm working for 900 CHML. If, if I said, it, let's say something happened to this building, someone did something, whatever. Or, or we're out at an event and someone decided to vandalize the, um, the, the tent, the, the setup, the set, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Um, 
And I say, uh, you know what? I can kind of see why you would do that. I know that that is not the answer that if I'm working here, surely I should be believing in what I'm working for. And if I have doubts, if I think that what the company that I am working for has done horrible things and hasn't, um, confessed or settled or whatever else. If I, if I believe that I'm still, that this company that I'm working for is still carrying horrendous baggage, I should not be working for this company. If I've got that problem, I just can't believe that the person who is our personification of the King in this country could say that she's confused about whether or not it's a good idea to tear down statues of the monarchy. Well, again, and I see your analogy, you're coming up with CHML, and I know you would defend CHML up and down and and the whole works. (laughs) But again, different situations, different individuals, and yes, she is representing. Uh, Maybe we will never truly know what her ultimate feelings are. And like I said, I think it's just a very political hot topic, and obviously she doesn't want to pick a side. So let's go right down the middle of Switzerland and... uh, and try to keep everybody happy. What if there was, uh, Ben just sent me a text with a really great question, Ben, on the other side of the glass here. He says, what if there was a statue of the governor general that got torn down? <laughs> yeah, it, it, interesting conversation to have there too. What if there was a statue of our prime minister right now? Well, there is a statue of, of Pierre Trudeau in Montreal. There's a statue of Pierre Trudeau, his father. What has if the statue... Defaced? Has, it, has anything ever happened to it? I don't know. But what if it got torn down and people said, you know why we're tearing it down? Because he was the prime minister when the white paper was authored and therefore we have problems with his part in this. What do you think that our governor general, do you think our prime minister, do you think our government would say, you know what? We agree. It's very, he was very problematic and we're going to remove the statue of him and change the name of the Montreal airport and all other things named after him. Do you think that would happen? I don't think that would happen. I, 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 I truly don't. Um, just based on, on, on my little bit of knowledge that I do know about how things were back then and how we are moving forward or trying to move forward to some extent. I'm not a believer of tearing statues down and defacing and everything. I think we have to learn from our past, learn from our history, read the plaques, educate and inform ourselves a little bit more. So if that was to happen, I, I don't think it would happen to to, to Mr. Trudeau. I, I, again, I, I just look at this like uh, if I am a person who wants to run for politics, as an example, and the person who is leading the party, I don't care what party, I don't care what stripe, I don't care what, whatever. If I, if the person who is at the front of my party, who's at the top of the ticket, has done things that I find really problematic and has not sorted those things out and we still have questions and we still have issues. I shouldn't be running for that party then. Well, why would you even involve yourself with that party in the beginning? That's my point. That's right. my point. If you are not comfortable with the things or some of the things that that person does and stands for, why are you signing up to be part of it? Mary Simon has signed up to be part of the monarchy. That is what she is. Yes, she's a part of our government, but she's part of our monarchy. If you are not comfortable enough to stand confidently with the monarchy, why are you representing the monarchy? And and wh- how long has she been uh, in this role? Do we know? Has it a been- year, year and a half, something like that? Two years? I don't know. I've lost track, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, so it, it's not like she was uh, unaware of, of the situations that were going on either, right? It's, it's not that this whole political climate has changed and this woke society has all of a sudden come out from everywhere. She must have some other beliefs. She must like other things that are happening. And, and this is just one of those things that maybe doesn't bother her as much, possibly. Yeah, I, I look at uh, it. Tough, tough to speak on her behalf. It is, and, and I, 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 I absolutely understand and get the that there are people who have a real problem with the monarchy. I'm not I'm not I'm not saying that nobody should. I'm not saying that you are totally wrong if you look at what's happened and you say I've got issues with I, I get why people may have real issues with it. It's just that if you're being paid to represent it, you should be not one of those people in my mind. But you know, Mike, there was a um at Hamilton City Council this week they finally released a the the agreement with Hupeg and the city for First Ontario Centre and the other venues. Uh, this had been not released for legal reasons, and then they got, I guess, clearance to do this. Uh, we're not going to talk about the whole thing. People can read about it. It's online at thespec.com. Matt Van Donjen did a great job writing about it. One interesting part, though, that got a follow-up story today because it caught some people off guard was in this lease was a line or a phrase or whatever that talked about um, Salvation Army would be, they would try to move it. That it's written into the lease that there would be an attempt to move it away from being right across the street from the arena. Now, they can't force it to go. Uh, Salvation Army would have to, as, as PJ Mercanti was on, um, on this station earlier today or yesterday, I think today, um, talking about this, they, the Salvation Army has the control ultimately over this. But it's a really interesting scenario because you're trying to, as we understand, build this whole zone downtown of high-end upscale entertainment and restaurants and people going to shows and things like that. And you have this highly essential service right there, but maybe something that some people would say doesn't really fit with the milieu of a high-end <laughs> entertainment district. What do you do with the Salvation Army? That's the million-dollar question. And hey, maybe that's what it's going to take to move them. You know? or, or 10 or, or 15. Or 10. You know, m- money talks. And if, if the right amount is potentially thrown that way, uh, I do understand and appreciate where Hupeg is going and what other cities have done uh, throughout Canada and, you know, down in the United States. They've, they've been able to keep their downtown. They've been able to revitalize their downtown and take those certain other entities uh, two, three, four, five blocks away. Um, but it is something that needs to be done and uh, in, in regards to ensure that the Salvation Army is still there. That's what I mean, not that it necessarily has to move. Uh, but whatever whatever is done, I hope that the, the fine people at Hupeg will offer up some suggestions. Uh, and maybe, can, can you make this a partnership? Can you help them out? Can you, with all these millions of dollars, can you not somehow become a partner and help out with the Salvation Army, the housing crisis? And, you know, that might put a nice little glow on things because I know there has been a lot of negative press at this point regarding communication or lack thereof so on and so forth and the the privacy behind everything this is a chance for i think them to really all work together and say look we want to help you we'll help you move we'll help you get the amenities that you need 
and we would really like this area for X, Y, and Z, whatever that might be. My understanding is, and I could be corrected on this, but my understanding is that always the position of HUPEG has been that if Salvation Army were to move, that they would be financially part of the involvement in helping them move and finding them and contributing. I understand that. Someone could tell me I'm wrong. So I, I think they've already said they will do that. That's great. But the, the real question, so there are those who say... If you push to move Salvation Army, what you're doing is gentrifying the area. You're trying to chase away the undesirables and turning people into chattel and saying they don't matter. The flip side is, no, we need to have these kind of facilities downtown, but we don't need to have them right there. They can be somewhere a block or two away where it's still accessible, but it's going to make people who come down to a show uncomfortable if there are people shooting drugs on the sidewalk and, and lest anyone think Mike, that that's an exaggeration. I have walked down there enough going into the arena and have watched people inject drugs in plain sight, right on the sidewalk there. It is, that is not an unusual thing to see. It's not unusual, but it's also, it's, it's, it's not something you want to see and you want to be portrayed, but let's face it, not just here in Canada and, and everywhere in Canada and, and North America. This is happening everywhere. Everywhere. Just very, very briefly, uh, a few weeks ago, my family and I, the, the three of us, uh, we were in Pittsburgh for a volleyball tournament. And Pittsburgh, we walked all of downtown, Scotty. It was immaculate. It was beautiful. The way they have been able to do what they have done to and bring in the waterfront and the con- this convention center was immaculate and the buildings, the history – And we took a little walk, my wife and I, I use quotations, it was a romantic walk in between some volleyball games. We went a little further out, we went about four or five blocks out, took a wrong turn, and next thing you know, we're in the ghetto of Pittsburgh. But So my point is, again, Pittsburgh was able to figure it out, clean things up, because it wasn't like that 15, 20 years ago. You weren't able to do what we did. So some concessions were made. We had to move. They had to move things around. And Pittsburgh, downtown Pittsburgh, is just phenomenal. I don't see why it can be done here. We're not herding them out like cattle. Let's put them in a, another location. But let's make sure all the amenities are there for them that they need. I think that's one of the big things. Is you're going to move us and forget about us? Or the keyboard warriors on Twitter will say that they have no answers either, but they like to throw everything out at everybody else to figure it out. If you're going to move them. Make sure that they have everything that they need around them to ensure that, you know, there aren't more deaths and whatever the case might be. Yeah, I I mean, I have a hard time with the idea that it has to be in that exact spot. Now, I I also want to say I don't believe that the uh, the correct answer is to move the Salvation Army miles and miles and miles away so nobody can get there. It has to be somewhere close. Mm -hmm. But I'm... I don't know that it has to be in that exact spot. Now, they, th- so far, the folks at Salvation Army have, who, who by the way, um, this is not about whether they do great work or not. They do amazing work, and mm-hmm. they are there to help people who really need help. They are, they are wonderful people. Um, so far, they've not suggested any inclination to move. Um, it's, it's a really hard one, Mike, because if you're going to spend 500 million or whatever it is that is being spent down there to clean the place up, mm-hmm. I don't know that it fits right there, right there, a block away, two blocks away, you're still available, but I don't, 
you know, th- this goes back, it's kind of the same argument with encampments. I, I, I have yet to hear too many people say, I really wish that there was an encampment that was set up in the parkette next to my house. Yeah, they it, support it, the idea of letting people be. And everyone they, talks the game. Everyone can talk the game. But when push comes to shove, no, nope, not in my ward. No, nope, not in my neighborhood. No, nope, not in the park, as you just alluded to, behind me. So everyone loves to talk. No one has answers. If, if, if Hugh Pegg is going to be coming in and saying, look, here's what we would like to offer you. We want to work with you. And you follow that all the way through to the end. And to your point, I agree with you. You don't have to be miles away. Three, four blocks within that radius. Let, let's figure it out. Because at the same time, businesses always move. Businesses always shut down, relocate. And, and Salvation Army, yeah, it's not for profit. It's still a business. Yeah, and I do, I do wonder, and I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not, um, I, I wonder if the people who are be, who are with the Salvation Army, if they're really, really savvy in some ways and recognize, you know, if we're going to move and, and they really want us to move like any other good business that someone wants their property, yep. there's probably a chance here to get something that really helps what we're doing. Let, let's get state of the art. Let's get yeah. upgrades. I don't know if that's debt. what they're thinking. I don't know if that's, but they should. They should. If they're thinking about moving, they absolutely should be driving a hard bargain so they can have an even better, bigger facility with all those things. Absolutely. Everyone else does. It, it, it would behoove them to, to do, and no doubt they will do all their homework, all their due diligence. And I think it would really behoove uh, the fine people at HUPEG to also, to, to not just use this as a, P, a positive PR move, but to really mean it, to yes. really work yeah. with them and ensure that this gets done properly. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Let me bring Mike Fortune back into the conversation here. Mike is the co-host or the host, pardon me, of the Hamilton Network on Cable 14. You can see him there, I don't know, a hundred times a week. Is that how many times they play it? You're on there all the time. I, I could literally wake up in the middle of the night and see Mike Fortune if I wanted to. Yeah, I get a little sick and tired of watching myself, so I don't even know how often now. It's, it's a lot, though. It's a, hey, that's you know what? Better a lot than never. Well, that's true. And, and for all our guests and the great conversations of the not-for-profits, it's uh, good information and education there for the viewers, that's for sure. Do you know what today marks the 50th anniversary of, Mike, in the world of sports? A, 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 a very significant moment in the world of sports happened 50 years ago today. Any idea? What are we, June 9th? Yeah. June 9th, 50 years ago. 1973. Oh, you got me. No. Today, I'm going to trick myself as soon as you tell no, me. No, no, and you will, because today marks 50 years since Secretariat won the Belmont Stakes by 31 lengths with Canadian jockey Ron Turcotte, who was on with Rick Zamperin this morning, uh, mm-hmm. riding. So this is the question. ESPN did a list a few years ago of the top athletes, the top North American athletes of the last century, the greatest 100 athletes wow. of the 20, 20th century, uh, the top five, Michael Jordan, Babe Ruth, Muhammad Ali, Jim Brown, Wayne Gretzky. Those were your top five. But Secretariat <laughs> comes in right behind Lou Gehrig and two spots ahead of Mickey Mantle <laughs> At number 35, should Secretariat, should a horse be on the list of greatest athletes? Is Secretariat one of our greatest athletes? I would, I would say no. I would say that the jockey and the team could probably be up there. 
uh, in guiding secretariat, but no, I don't think you should be comparing an animal to a human being in a in a, an athletic sports. I tend to agree with you, but here's where I get comp- here's where this gets complicated. You may remember a few years ago, uh, maybe twenty now, I don't know, when Larry Walker who then was playing for the Colorado Rockies, had one of the greatest seasons ever in baseball as, an, as a hitter, a Canadian guy from Maple Ridge, B.C., and he lost the then what we called the Lou Marsh Award as Canada's top athlete to Jacques Villeneuve, uh, who had won the F1 series that year. And there was huge outcry because how in the world does Larry Walker lose to a car? Because basically Jacques Villeneuve didn't run. He sat in a car. He had to drive, no question. But if he had had a crappy car, he wasn't going to win. The car was ultimately, in a lot of people's minds, what made the difference. And so I would say, no, I don't believe Secretariat should be one of our greatest athletes. But at the same token, if I, and I agreed with the position that Larry Walker should have won because he got Mm -hmm. beaten by a car. If you're saying the car was what won it for Jacques Villeneuve, how can I not then say Secretariat? won it. Well, and again, that's why I alluded to the fact you have a jockey and you have a team, you have a driver and you have a team. Um, I would look at them more as the athletes behind it. They are, they are the ones that have to get everything finely tuned. Uh, if you look at it potentially that way, I think you could still probably have the best of the best cars and the, the greatest horse of all time. But if you don't have the jockey or the driver who knows how to control it somewhat to how a hitter has to control a bat, hold a glove, throw a football, whatever the case might be. Um, you know, there, there's, there's, a, there's a team aspect, potentially. I know I'm probably stretching here and just killing some airtime for you, but uh, I, I can see how people can look at it either way, for sure. Yeah, I, I, I have a hard time giving it to a horse, mostly because, and I don't know if this is a good reason even, because a horse is, that, that's what a horse is supposed to do. They are supposed to, that's how they are built, correct. And they're doing it on four legs. They're bigger, they're more muscular, the whole works. Yeah, no, no, but I mean, a horse is, a great horse is supposed to run. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I, I really, I always have a tough time with this. And I don't know if it's just because I'm not a, maybe if I was a real horse guy, it would be an obvious thing to say. I mean, I, I'm not taking away from what Secretary, winning by 31 lengths. If you ever watch the replay of that race, it is stunning how much better he was than every other horse in the field. There's no question about that. What is the jockey doing, though, to... Again, I I believe you have to be an athlete of some sort to be able to get on one of these beautiful creatures. You have to be an athlete to be behind the wheel. A lot of endurance is required. Um, It's not like they just wake up and say, let's go win a race today. There's lots involved behind the scenes of that as well, I would think. I don't know. I don't know. Like, would I, I mean, look, it was lovely that Ron Turcott came on with Rick this morning and, and he had a legendary career. Would I ever count Ron Turcott as one of the great athletes of our time? I wouldn't. Sorry, Ron. No. <laughs> Sorry. It's just, I, I'm not, again, it's the horse doing all the work, which again, then I guess goes to my argument that maybe the horse is the athlete here. Um, I, separate categories. We got to start having separate categories. You have your you have your human uh, category, and then you have your um, equine. Uh, yes, equine and 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 and, and the, the the racing side of thing. Anything that re- involves a driver, if you will. Who? Okay, so we got to take a very quick break here. But um, 
that was the 20th century uh, that he made it, that Secretariat was included as the best athletes. Here's one catching you totally on the spot. Top of your head, who is the greatest athlete so far of the 21st century? 21st century, all the major sports. Any, anything, any sport, any sport. Oh, I think you. I must let me throw some names out to help you out. Just and I, people I, at home can. Let me throw some names: Usain Bolt, Serena Williams, LeBron James, Tom Brady, Kobe Bryant, Tiger Woods, Michael Phelps, uh, Lionel Messi. See, I was, and I'm. I'm not a soccer fan, but I was going to go with a with a soccer player. You threw Messi out there. I, I would go with a soccer player as much as I can't stand the sport. I'm going to go Usain Bolt for one simple reason, and kind of why you chose soccer, even though there is not a person, there is not an able-bodied person on planet Earth who has not run, who has not run in a race at some point. This is an argument Steve Milton always makes, my colleague, that (laughs) hockey is played by only certain countries. Michael Phelps has won more Olympic medals, but not everybody swims. Everybody who is capable has run in a race. Running is the most widespread, commonly done sport. And for a person to be the best for as long as he was and beat everybody, I got to put Usain Bolt there. And I like what you said there too, regarding consistency. It wasn't just a one and done. Three. He was consistent for many, many years. Yeah. Three Olympics. That's unbelievable. Mike, uh, I know it's been a while. You've been married for a while now. I've been married for a while now. Ben on the other side of the glass here, he's engaged and, you know, has been going out for a while here. So we're, we're all rusty in the dating pool world of things, but what would you put as, if you were going on a blind date, what would be sort of the outline? What would be the guidelines for what's acceptable behavior? And I don't mean like that kind of behavior. I just mean for the, for the event itself, what's, what's a, what's an acceptable behavior? My, my rule has always been never go on a blind date. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let me, let me, let me. No, I'll play along though. I'll All right. So what was the question? <laughs> Say it again. Okay. Let, let me, let me flip it. Let me flip it. If you asked someone on a blind date or were set up on a blind date, <laughs> what would you expect that person to bring with them on that blind date? To, to bring with them? Yeah. What would you expect them to bring with them? Uh, um, uh, a wallet. Um, <laughs> um, uh, bring with them. I, I don't... Oh my gosh. All right. Let me tell you why I'm asking this question, because there's a lawsuit that has been filed in China, according to a number of stories online. A man in China went on a blind date with a woman in China. She showed up for dinner with 23 of her relatives and expected him to pay for the whole shooting match. He let them order and then said, no thanks, and walked out and left them with the bill. Good for him. Good and then him. now they're suing, saying that he should be paying. Now, I don't know if there's a cultural thing or whatever, but I'm looking at this going, good for you. I, I would have absolutely done the same thing. Let them order all the expensive stuff and then hit the road. Don't, don't, don't cancel it early. I mean, if she's going to pull this stunt, don't cancel it before they're in for their costs. Let them order. Hence why you go by the fortune rule and never go on a blind date. Because you that's, don't know what you're going to get. Who, and again, I don't know if maybe there's <laughs> cultural things at play here. I, I really don't, but I don't think so. I, I, I don't think that it would be standard in any culture for anybody at any time to say, you're going on a date. I'm bringing my entire extended family that we would have had for Christmas dinner and move it to the restaurant. 
Now, I don't know what constitutes a blind date now in the fact, like, have you had zero conversation with them? Have you led up to a date through social media apps and all that? Was there maybe something said beforehand where they were joking back and forth? Oh, yeah, it'd be great to see. Yeah, bring your family. You know, let's have, you know, who knows what was said leading up to it potentially. Right. I don't know. I, I don't know. But now I, I'm reading the story, even as we're talking here. And just I, as I express the cultural thing, most of the people who have talked about this on Chinese social media, apparently say, no, no, this is not what falls into any bounds of any kind yeah. of normal behavior so that you don't normally bring dunk. everybody. It should be a slam dunk case for him that he, that he wins this. The, the bill came to almost $3,000 because they ordered a bunch of expensive liquor and really nice food and thought that this guy was going to be. Now, the only caveat I would say here, and the story is not clear, is if this guy owns, you know, like China's number one business or something and is worth a billion dollars. No. Maybe. No, I, Maybe. No I, don't, no, I don't think that's a caveat. Sorry, disagree with you there. You, you have to show a little bit of class and respect. No matter if, if the person is the biggest billionaire in China or, or you know, j- just getting his, getting his feet wet or something, or her getting her feet wet, you have to show a little bit of class and respect to the person that you're going to be spending some time with. M- money should not play into it at all. And if it's a blind date, how do you truly know what the person's like? Well, I'll tell you, I, I, if, if he was, even if he was a multi-billionaire, I think she really whiffed then. Because if, if he's a multi-billionaire and you're trying to mm-hmm. land yourself a multi-billionaire, man to woman, woman to man, doesn't matter. You don't bring 23 people. You do everything you can <laughs> to make sure it works. Exactly. <laughs> right? Exactly. This, is, this, yeah. seems, this seems and like it misses that, the point. This is why, you know, I, I would, if, you know, I, would, I have no interest in, in ever dating or doing anything else once, you know, whatever happens with the marriage and would things move on or I'm really getting myself in trouble here. No kidding. Dating just doesn't do it. You know, it's, it's like, I just don't understand it anymore nowadays. It's, it's just, uh, yeah. yeah, I'm thankful that, uh, thankful that, that we don't have to do that anymore. But uh, word of advice to all you people who uh, who are going on blind dates: do not bring twenty three relatives. That's uh, don't even bring a friend. That's probably yeah, true you, too. You can have a friend. You can phone a friend. On, on, you, have a have a friend ready at the get how uh, for a text or a phone call yep. or something if something's going wrong. That's right. You can have the phone a friend. You can go with the who wants to be a millionaire phone a friend. Just don't exactly. bring. Exactly. My fortune. I will let you get to your friends. We uh, appreciate you doing this. Thanks for the time tonight. Hey, man, Oski Wee Wee, looking forward to chat with you guys again soon, man. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.